0: We'll take them to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au And I'm so pleased to say that for 2013, our much-loved and widely respected human condition guru, Lynn Worsley, returns with a great wisdom about, well, all of us. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll have an interesting couple of conversations planned about this. Glass-half-full people and glass-half-empty people. We all know them, don't we? Uh, The vast majority of us are probably one or the other. So, Lynn, where are you going to take us? Welcome back. Great to see you. Thanks for having me, Lee. So, what's ahead in this? It's going to be very interesting. This
1: week, I think we'll have a look at the differences in pessimistic and optimistic thinking. Yes. Um, And there's been a lot of work on this, and and it's really the basis of what psychologists would call um, cognitive behaviour therapy.
0: Okay. For the uninitiated, which means.
1: Well, cognitive behavior therapy, you divide it up in the three words, cognitive meaning thinking, and behavior is the things that we do, and therapy is um, how you might change things. Yes. So cognitive behavior therapy is that when you actually change how you're thinking to affect the the behavior that you might be doing differently if you were thinking something else, and you have a therapy that goes with that.
0: Yeah, self-talk kind of comes into that. Sort a bit. of, yes. but
1: really you find out what's, what it is, the behaviour um, that you don't want to have yep. and you think, look at what the thoughts are behind the behaviour that you don't want to have yes. and you've got to change that.
0: So of course pessimistic thinking is the glass half empty person, optimistic thinking glass half full. Is that how cognitive behaviour therapy would think about that? So yeah. Yes, okay. yes
1: it would. Um, but the process of discovering this formally this pessimistic and optimistic thinking formally. It, it's what we would call in looking for things empirically in, yes. in, um, in psychology. But just remember that psychologists don't like to accept common sense. They basically have to measure it.
0: It can now be yeah. revealed.
1: Yes, you have to have measured common sense. So well, there's some key experiments that give psychologists some incredible information that helps us to understand how people think differently under different circumstances. Okay. Now there's there's some really good experiments and one of the experiments was done by Martin Seligman. Now I'm gonna take you a little bit on a journey here. So you just um just bear with me a I bit. I think we've heard about this guy before. Yes, yes, Martin Seligman, he's a bit of a I do think he's pretty fantastic. Yes. But he had this experiment that he did using dogs. Now, I'd just like to warn listeners here that this experiments were conducted way before there were tight ethics requirements, and you wouldn't be allowed to do this sort of experiment now. Good point to make, yep. But nonetheless, we had a lot to learn from it. So I'm going to tell you a bit of a story about how that will show you how his work all started. Now, Seligman wanted to work out what dogs' level of stress were. And, he, and the factors that contributed to that level of stress. So he set up an experiment in the following way. What he did was that he put dogs in a box. And in the box, he put in front of the box um, the dogs a light. And the light was there. This is how he got through ethics to tell the dogs that they were going to get an electric shock. Mm-hmm. And the electric shock was under a nice little cushion and you know hidden. So the dogs didn't know that it was actually there and they had their food in front of it. So the dogs are sitting in the box, and they see the light, and the light comes on. The dog goes, oh, all right, what's that? And then it gets an electric shock. So the next time the dog oh. sees the light, oh. and the dog goes, hmm, something bad happened last time, So, and then it gets the electric shock. But the third time the dogs go, hmm, light's on, they run to the other side of the box. Okay. They yes. don't get the electric shock. So the experiment's set up, and from then on, the dogs keep their eye on the light, and they run to the other side of the box. Yeah. So they learn to eat with one eye on the, on the, on the light. They learn to sleep with one eye open looking at the light. So that's basically these dogs are really vigilant. You know, they, they've got their eye on the light the whole time, and it's sort of like that height, heightened stress. Yes, and the, 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 mind you, the shock wasn't bad enough to hurt them, but ma- enough to make them uncomfortable. Yep. So this is the experiment. It goes on and on and on. And, and so basically they were waiting for the dogs to, you know, get really sick. And they didn't. So they looked at the dogs. Sick and they, from stress? Yeah, they okay. just sort of were waiting. The, the prediction was that these dogs are going to be so stressed that, you know, they're, they're going to collapse
0: yeah.
1: from exhaustion. But they actually found that they didn't. So they saw that their coats were shiny, they were eating well, and they hadn't lost any weight, and they looked good. Um, so Seligman's experiment failed. So just before he finished the experiment, he thought he'd just try a tricky thing, and he put in a wall between where the dog could escape, and so halved half the box. So the dog's sitting on the pad with the electric sh- pad underneath him, and, of course, the light comes on, and he turns to run away, and what does he do? Hits Car- the wall. Yes. Yeah. So he has this terrible situation where the dog starts screaming and howling and barking and trying to get away from the electric shock and the light comes on again and they start to try and get away. But after a while, the light comes on. They just think, well, why bother? Last time I still got the electric shock anyway, so they just sat there. Yes. And after a while, they stopped looking at the light and they just sat there in the, on the pads. And copped it. And copped it. Yeah. And mind you, the electric shock wasn't enough to hurt them but enough to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. So after a while, the lights come on and off and the log- dogs get electric shock and the dogs just sat there and they were very passive. They didn't jump around. They just slept all day. They didn't really do much. They didn't look stressed, but they lost their weight. Their hair, start- the fur started falling out. They had blood in their stools. They had all the, the signs of dogs in distress. Mm. And so at this point, Seligman thought oh, he might get into trouble, so he better hurry up and take the wall out. And that's when something interesting happened. So we took the wall out. What do you think happened to the dogs?
0: Well, their most recent learned behaviour is just to stay on the mat.
1: Yeah.
0: And is that what happened?
1: That's what happened. Wow. So the dogs stayed there. They just sat there. Wow. Even though they could escape. So they thought, you know, that these dogs had actually learned beforehand to escape. But the recent one, like you said, was that they had learned that you couldn't escape,
0: and the most recent learned behaviour is the one that counts. Yeah, in that and case. when
1: and so Seligman wrote this up because it was quite an interesting phenomenon, and yes. it wasn't just one dog. And then he published his findings, and when he published his findings, they we got letters from all over the world, and they were saying people were saying, "But this is what happens with people. This is what happens with women when they've been in domestic violence situations, and they keep going back." and back to them. They don't leave. This is what happens to children who've been abused who then go and find partners who do the similar sort of thing. Yeah. This, is, this is what happens. So all of these people writing into Seligman, and at this point he said, well, this is what I am coining the phrase of learned helplessness.
0: Which does apply to humans. Yes, yes. yes.
1: Yeah. So the next 50 or 60 years, Martin Seligman has studied people who then who are seen to be helpless or have learned helplessness and he also studied how to move them from learned helplessness to being helpfulness. So what his big area of work was, right, let's look at how we can shift them. Now, at the same time as he was studying all of this, Aaron Beck, who's a very famous cognitive behaviour therapist, was studying cognitive behaviour therapy, and that was gaining this recognition. Now, Martin Beck was studying what made people think like helpless people, yes. Seligman was trying to work out what made people think like helpful people. Yeah. And so Seligman started looking at optimistic versus pessimistic people and his work has been phenomenal. And what he has found is that there are some very key features in the way people think when they're in that optimistic mindset and they're in a helpful sense than when then someone is in a pessimistic mindset and they're helpless.
0: So can we kind of run through those two opposite ends of the spectrum? What did he find?
1: Yeah. Well, the key things that he found was that those who had the learned helplessness, um, were they had more depression, they had more anxiety, and the anxiety and the depression had a particular way of thinking that actually dominated their style of, of behaviour. Yes. They were the same patterns for anxiety and depression. And he also noticed that there were very different outcomes for people who were optimistic versus those people who were pessimistic in their thinking patterns. The approach to situations were different. The interactions with people were different. Their actual experiences of the same situation were actually interpreted so differently. And the cognitive behavior therapists, they continued to study the pessimists, and the positive psychology people started continue to study the optimists and they kept finding more and more thinking patterns that were different.
0: How long ago was this conducted?
1: The dog experiment was probably ex- about the 60s and 70s. Such
0: big and significant yes. new thinking for the yes. time.
1: And Beck's work, Aaron Beck, who's still alive, and I actually went to hear him speak He's wow. in his mid-90s, Yep. Uh um oh no, he's just approaching ninety. Um he he's wonderful work and his work was um was coming out at the same time. Now Seligman's probably in his um in his seventies.
0: So what were the findings? What are the differences in thinking between the optimists and the pessimists, the glass half full person? Okay, so I'm gonna
1: take you through this very slowly. We might go through this over the next couple of weeks as well. But the first way of thinking that Seligman noticed, is that the pessimist will say when something bad happens, they say it's permanent. So they use words like it always happens.
0: And this is what life's like.
1: And it's never going to get any different. And it can't change things. And so they'll use those words quite frequently in some times when something bad happens. Mm -hmm. So, for example, say you were going out driving and you're looking for a parking spot and you get to the parking place and there's no parking, so this always happens. You can never get a parking spot, and I just can't get there on time. So that sense of it's just not going to change, and so you basically change how you approach something in a sort of a loser mentality. It basically is never going to change. Now, on the same thing, the pessimist will say when something good happens, it's just not going to last long.
0: Oh, I see, because I was going to say, it might be, notwithstanding the fact that they're a glass half empty person, it may be right that they always don't get a car park or, mm. or you know, sometimes don't. It might be. A it, now, that,
1: you just said two things that were really different. Mm. You said, yes, that's right. they're always, yeah. always going, I always can't get a parking spot. Or nearly. Or I could sometimes. Yes. So the sometimes is what separates is the enough? optimists and the pessimists. Yeah. Mm. So the pessimist would say, I always can't. And if they, something good happened, well, one time I got a parking spot, but <laughs> yes. that's not normally the way. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that's a, a minor thing. But then something, you know, like somebody who's going through a number of traumatic events and they've had one after the other, and you know, four or five events that sometimes people have experiences in their lives where they've just had, you know, four or five events one after the other for them now that are awful, they will then develop a sense of helplessness yes. in the same way as the dogs do. Hmm. And so what happens with them is that they start to think that this is always the way it is. Now, the optimists would think about it quite differently. Each event, they would break it down and turn it into something that is temporary if it's a bad thing that's happened.
0: Okay, so if the pessimist has something nice happen, they think, well, that won't last.
1: That's right. It's only shortly it's temporary.
0: And the optimist is the kind of the opposite. Yes. yes.
1: So the optimist would say when something bad happens... Oh, it's temporary. It won't last long. Things will get back to normal. You know, this is just a a bad run, but normally we cope quite well. we have had a few things that have happened to us recently, but we've been really quite fortunate about how we've got through it. But it won't last long because things will get back to normal.
0: We may have to have a separate conversation on just this one question, but what are the things that have made me a glass half empty person or glass half full? I'm sure mm. there are lots of things. And a, Childhood norm, issues?
1: <laughs> well, yes. yeah, and experiences. And, and I think this is where um, a lot of the work in anxiety research comes in and says that there's a temperament. You can actually have a temperament yes. um, that makes you a little bit more anxious or a bit in, slow to warm up.
0: It's in my genes.
1: Yes, yeah. and that, but it only accounts for about 2.5% of how you turn out in terms of optimism. Oh, that's So it's not yeah. huge, mm. but what it what is the case is that it may actually establish how you interact with the world and how the world interacts back with you. Yes. So it's like you might be someone who's slow to warm up in your temperament. As a little baby, you take a while to warm up to other children or other people. And because of that, other people don't warm up to you readily. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get the experiences as the child who has the temperament that makes everybody want to come and cuddle them and pinch their cheeks and tell them how cute they are. And that establishes a pattern of behaviour that reinforces what they start with.
0: Yes. And so the big question is, which we're not going to explore tonight because we will continue this, is can you change from, say, at least the pessimist to the optimist? And I'll, I believe you can. Yeah. And if, and oh, well,
1: that's my job. Yes. Well, I suppose it is. <laughs> but
0: I'll be really interested to see how you do that and why you're so optimistic that you can. I Apart from this kind of thinking in these uh, guys' research, were there other ways of thinking that they discovered or explored?
1: Yes, there were. And there's there's actually three ways, three particular ways, and we're going to go into them a lot more detail in the next few days, a few weeks. Um, But the second way of thinking is that when when a pessimist faces something that's bad, they'll globalise it. They'll say, this is a small thing that's happened that's not so good and that's an indication that everything's going bad.
0: Like catastrophizers. Yes. Yes, okay. yes.
1: So this is this is a and this is what the cognitive behavior therapist would say is that we've got to change our catastrophizing when we're depressed. Yes. But with the pessimistic people, you don't necessarily have to be depressed. You can just say, Oh yeah, this is a good indication, you know, this morning, you know, I got into the wrong line in the traffic, so it's gonna be a lousy day. That to be right. That'd right. be right. You know, right. that's just typical. Yep. Um, everything's going wrong. Or I didn't get invited to a party and now I've got no friends. Or, um, I, you know, I, I failed in my maths test so I'm really lousy at school. Yeah. But when something good happens, yes, the pessimist yep. would say, it's only just for a special reason that that good thing happened. So they can make it into a specific thing that says the good thing happened because of this particular reason and that's why it won't happen again.
0: But life's still rubbish, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Now, when you're working with that, you can actually start challenging some of your behaviours and switch it around because the optimist does the opposite. When something bad happens, the optimist will actually say, this bad thing has happened because, you know what, I actually didn't study for that test the night before and... I really should have planned a bit more when I got got ready to go to work this morning, and really left myself a little bit more time because I knew it was peak hour. There's or, a
0: specific reason. There's
1: for There's a it. specific reason because I that things have gone wrong, and so I can actually change that specific reason yeah. to make things better. So I've got a bit more control. So the optimist isn't necessarily, you know, a positive thinker; they just have worked out ways that they can actually take a bit more control over their circumstances.
0: I'm going to look forward to this a lot because, as I said, I'm sure it applies to almost every one of us. We're kind of inclined to one of the two of these or have people around us. Yes. How to, um, how to cope, how to help. I look forward to immensely to it next week. Thanks so much, Lynn Worsley. Thank you. See you then. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.